yeah, so for those who have never met me before, my name is Susie. Um, it is probably like my fifth, maybe sixth time that I'm here in Busan. And I think every time I come here, one of the things that really um, strikes me with what you guys have cultivated here as a community is this reach for God. Like, I feel like that's something that you guys have cultivated very well here. And it doesn't matter if it's the same people or there's turnover or whatnot, but I, that's one of the things that I feel like marks this community. And even today, um, as Tiffany was leading us in worship today, um, like towards the end of like the third song and into the fourth song, like when we started singing Worthy of Every, of every, every Song We Could Ever Sing, Every Breath We Could Ever Breathe, Every Praise We Could Ever Give, We Live For You, just that part, I felt like that encapsulated this ministry so well, this campus so well. Like, uh, I felt like it was, I felt so much pleasure from the Lord. I really did. And I felt like God's pleasure saying, you love me well. In a very costly way, I feel like this campus carries, you know, a Mary of Bethany spirit in that way. Where you, um, you break that alabaster jar at the feet of Jesus without calculating, without being like, oh, I got to leave some for tomorrow, you know, without that. It's like he's worthy, and I'm going to give it all, and I'm not going to have any regrets. And I know that um, a lot of people can say that, and a lot of people can, you know, use that language metaphorically, but I feel like this is one of those campuses that, in a very costly way, you prove over and over again that he's still worthy of your worship. And that's a huge, a, a very powerful message that you are not just saying with your mouth, but living out through your lives. And so I just wanted to share that with you. I felt that so strongly while we were worshiping today. Like this is a campus that doesn't shy away from breaking an alabaster jar at the feet of Jesus, and he's so pleased by that. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, so it, today is my, you know, it is my, my joy to be able to preach at this campus. Um, it is Advent season. It is leading up into Christmas. So for those of you who weren't raised in the church Usually, and that's a lot of people in Philly usually. Um, so if you weren't raised in the church, um, the four Sundays leading up to Christmas, usually you call that Advent season, and it's a season to kind of prepare your heart. It's not like hey, presents are coming, you know, Christmas is coming. It's not that, but it's like a posture of the heart where you um, like long and wait for his coming. And it's not just, you know, in commemoration of his first coming, but also prophetically thinking about his second coming as well. And so it's a really um, it's a really beautiful season that we get to reflect on the fact that God came and he will come again. And um, yeah, so I hope that um, you as a community also get to, you know, get to meditate on that as well. So today's mess, wow, that is not what I intended. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> I don't think I could read that. Uh, it might be the connection, if you don't mind. Like, um, can you guys read that? No. <laughs> uh, I feel like I would get motion sickness just from, just from that. Um, yeah. If it if it doesn't work, it's okay. But um, let me share something really quick before we actually get into the word. Um, I wanted to share just a little bit about my my personal journey in in reaching um, this time and this place as well. Um, so don't look at the screen, look at me. <laughs> Everybody's like, is it going to work? Is it gonna... Um, yeah, so 
I'm currently, you know, leading the church uh, from Seoul, and I never expected to be in this position. Um, and although I know I look super young, this is not my first church, you know, that that something, you know, as big or as traumatic as, as what happened to our church uh, has happened in my life as well. About 10 years ago, I know I don't look like I could have been doing ministry 10 years ago, but yes, I was doing ministry 10 years ago. Nice. Um, and about 10 years ago, um, in a previous church where I was a college pastor, we had major crisis happen, like major crisis, like jail time involved kind of crisis. And it was for someone who is as young and as inexperienced as me, um, for me, it was really the end of the world. Like I didn't know how we would make it out of something like that. And basically the Lord took me through a two and a half year season where like I would have to stay in the place of faith every day. Like I have to be like, God, like, surely you love this community. Surely you're not going to leave us nor forsake us. Surely your promises are still true, and you're going to give us the strength that it takes to walk through it. You know, it's two and a half years of seeing our church crumble from the inside out while we were still dealing as a very young church who we were dealing probably with our first death in our, in our community, our first miscarriage in our community as well. It was like a season of like very intense refining. And at the tail end of the season, um, I was kind of like on the leadership team and something that God put on our hearts, it was, it's time to, it's, it's time to pack up and it's time to go. Um, and it was, everything in me was like, no, but Lord, what about the last two and a half years? Are you kidding me? Like, what was all that about? And the Lord had to speak to me over and over again. You know, like, my ways are higher. You don't see the full picture, but you need to trust that I know what I'm doing. And you need to trust that it's my voice. And as much as you want to hold on to certain things, um, trust my leadership. And I know where I'm, I'm leading this thing. And so it was probably one of the hardest things that we did to, um, to have to close down um, our church. Um, it was the only community that we knew, and it was our family. Um, and but still feeling really strongly like the Lord's calling us to close this down. And then after that, for me personally, I had to go through a season of grieving. Like, what, what do you do with that? What do you do with the promises? What do you do with that sense of betrayal? Like, like what the heck, God? You know, <laughs> like you put me in this position. You like, you know, it feels like you set me up for disappointment. What's going on with all of that? Um, and I had to go through a season of wrestling with the Lord. What, what in the world was all of that about? Are you trustworthy? Can I trust you the second time? Can I trust you this third time? And there was a season of wrestling where I needed to work those things out with the Lord. I needed to get angry with the Lord. I needed to do all the impolite things that you're not supposed to do to God. Like, I thought you cared. I thought you, you know, all those things that are not biblical, all of that. But I needed to work those things out with the Lord. And um, coming out of that kind of season of grieving and processing through all that, I can say without the shadow of a doubt, number one is I wouldn't trade that for the world. Like, if you gave me the ideal job, you know, not a pastor of a broken and crumbling, imploding church, but like, you know, if you gave me the best job, I still wouldn't trade it for the world. I think there was, um, it was a season that God called me to and a community that he called me to and a process as painful as it was that he had called me to. Um, and then second thing coming out of that 
it is precisely what we sang today. Like, Jesus is still worthy. Jesus is worthy of my good days, and Jesus is worthy of two and a half years of exploding crap. You know? <laughs> like, not just crap, exploding crap. Um, Jesus is still worthy of that, and I would do it all over again. And I have no regrets looking back. Um, I had to not get fixated on the end result, but I needed to know that he was still worthy. And I think coming out of that season, I can look back without any regret and say, I, I gave him my all, and I was following his leadership in the really difficult decisions, especially. Um, and looking back, like I don't think I could do this kind of, I couldn't go through the last two, year, two and a half years for like, for career, I couldn't do it for family, I couldn't do it for X, Y, and Z, but for Jesus, like if he's really as worthy as he says he is, um, then I would do it all over again without you know, missing a heartbeat. And so it's, it's one of those seasons where it was really difficult and yet it was probably the most fruitful in my life. And so why am I saying all this? Uh, one of the things that our speaker at the, our retreat spoke into it was there are promises of God that he's called us to partner into. And sometimes when we receive prophetic promises as a church or as a house or as an individual, often we, you know, we, we take it and we hold on to it and we're like, okay, now it's a matter of time. Cool. I'm just going to chill here. I'm going to wait till that happens. And yet often that's not what God is calling us into. He's like, I gave, I've given you the promise. Now you're going to partner with me in bringing it forth. Now there's going to be a partnership that, that, that um, comes into play. It's not just... Thus saith the Lord, and it's going to happen, period. It is actually an open door. It's an invitation. And so um, that's what I wanted to preach about today, even, especially as we are thinking about the Advent season. And we're thinking about not just presents. We're not just thinking about Santa Claus. But we're thinking about this is the ultimate promise that God gave his people. There would be rescue. There would be redemption. There would be salvation. In a moment where there's no hope, there's going to be a light that shines in the darkness. And so I wanted to uh, speak into that today. Um, so um, the passage that I wanted us to start out with, you know, like in every Christmas Hallmark card, it's like for unto us, a child is born, for unto us, right? Um, so what we don't know about this passage, it is that it is embedded in one of the grimmest, saddest, most hopeless passages, you know, in the book of Isaiah. It's not like it's flowers and rainbows and unicorns and then for unto us. No, it's like things have died there's no hope for the future. The, there's, it looks bleak. And in the middle of that is where God drops this promise. And against the backdrop of that hopelessness, his promise shines even brighter. And so it is a very kind of cliche verse to think about when we think about Christmas. And yet to fully understand the weight of his promise and the invitation into it as well, we need to think about the context in which it was given. So he speaks, uh, Isaiah, prophet Isaiah speaks of a time when all hope will be lost. When every promise spoken by God will look like it's dead. It's null and void. And it's going to be long forgotten when the presence of the Lord will seem the furthest away it's ever been. And everything in us will be crying out for rescue. In the midst, uh, so I'm going to, before going into the foreign to us, I'm going to uh, backtrack just a few verses this is where we're going to pick up at Isaiah 8, verse 21. And the picture that we see isn't a very nice picture, right? It starts out by saying that they're going to be distressed. So it's, they're going to be anxiety-ridden, right? Not only that, they'll be hungry, so they're going to experience physical lack. 
They will roam through the land, so it means that they're going to be homeless. They're going to be famished, so they're going to be overwrought with lack and with desperation. They're going to get to that point. Have you ever gotten to that point where you get angry? They're going to become, and they will become enraged, so they're going to be they're going to reach that point of anger when they've had enough and it will get to that point where they will curse their king and their God. I don't know if you guys have ever been through that kind of season where, kind of like how I was explaining at the very beginning, like there are moments where you're going to be like, I thought you cared about me. I thought your promises were true. I thought your word would stand. What in the world, like you let me, you left me hanging you let me out to dry. Like, what, what is this? And there's going to be a sense in which you're going to feel betrayal and abandonment. And that's what it was for the Israelites as well. They were curse God. They'll say, why have you left us? Why have you tarried? Why the wait? Why the suffering? Why the failed promises? Why, why, why? They're going to get to that point. They're going to look toward the earth. And it's not only an internal reality that they're, they're feeling. They're going to look all around them, and they're going to see hopelessness all around them as well. So it's not just your personal issue, your personal season. It's going to be prevalent all around you as well. They will look toward the earth and see only distress and darkness and fearful gloom, and they will be thrust into utter darkness. This is a deep shadow of the valley of death surrounding them. Everywhere they look, the deep, dark night of the soul, there's no glint of hope, no glint of rescue or, or light, no matter how hard they look. And these are seasons, I would love to say that this is only for some people, you know, only some people go through these things. It's actually, it's part of life. It, it's going to happen sooner or later. If you haven't gone through that, praise the Lord, but know that it is coming. <laughs> Don't be like, oh, sucks for you. I haven't really been. No, like you need to know that this is part of life. And this is, if the Lord loves you as well, he'll treat you like a son. He will not treat you as an orphan. And there will be seasons of discipline. There's going to be seasons of pruning. There's going to be seasons of testing. And it's going to be for your good because he loves you. Right? And then this is where it takes a turn. Isaiah 9, it starts out by saying, nevertheless, there'll be no more gloom for those who are in distress. In the past, he humbled the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the future, he will honor Galilee of the Gentiles by the way of the sea along the Jordan. So this is a turning point for them. And he's going to say, The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. You have enlarged the nation and increase their joy. They rejoice before you as people rejoice at the harvest, as men rejoice when dividing the plunder. For as in the days of Midian's defeat, you have shattered the yoke that burdens them, the bar across their shoulders, the rod of the oppressor. And so this, if you don't know what a, what a yoke is like, what physically it looks like, it looks like this. It's not like, oh, that's so cute. Like his yoke is easy, his burden is like, no, it's something heavy that makes you, turns you into a beast of burden. Um, it's a, it's, this is what a yoke looks like. And so this is going to be shattered from off of their shoulders. And then it continues on to say, every warrior's boot used in battle and every garment rolled in blood will be fuel for the fire. Basically what he's saying, every item that was used in warfare will be needed no longer because there's a time of triumph over the enemies that once enslaved them. And this is not just a temporary triumph. It's not a temporary victory. It's going to be a permanent and everlasting 
victory. And so this is grand promise. Now, let me ask you this question. Like, when you hear these grand promises, you're thinking like, oh, man, it's about to get really good. You know, we're going to see some really crazy stuff. We're going to see, like, either a political, you know, leader, a military leader is going to come in and, like, all these literal oppressors. So they were under all these different, you know, empires that would enslave them. Like, there will be no more. We're going to be the ones this time calling the shots. We're going to be the ones up on top. And this, this is what they're thinking. And my question is, like, how incredible is it that God's way of delivering on this promise is through a child. Like all those promises, the, like we're about to reach a climax, and there's going to be a child. <laughs> and it's like, ah, oh, what a underwhelming, you know, climax to all these promises. But this is what it says. For to us, a child is born. For to us, a son is given. Let's pause really quick there. A child can be born, and he indeed was born. But a son was never born. This is an uncreated son who existed there before the beginning of time. In the beginning, God was there already. The son, the father, and the Holy Spirit, they were there from the very beginning. So a child can be born, but a son can only be given. And it's not like taken away. It is voluntarily given. This is a God who chooses to give himself. An uncreated God who owes us nothing chooses to give himself. And the government will be on his shoulders and he will be called, and this is a beautiful you know, uh, way of describing who this child will be. It's going to be a child who's going to be called Wonderful Counselor. So starting with Wonderful Counselor, we're going to w- work through these names really quickly. And I'm going somewhere, so stay put, okay? The, he was going to be called Wonderful Counselor. What that means, so wonderful, wonderful is Pele, so a marvel, a wonder and a miracle. And counselor isn't like uh, somebody sitting on a couch saying, like, how do you feel? You know, it's not that kind of counselor. It's somebody who's able to counsel, advise, plan, and execute. So it's not like all talk. It's somebody who's actually able to deliver on his promise as well. So when we're talking about Pele Yoet's wonderful counselor, it's someone who is not just miraculous in and of himself, but he also is able to plan and execute what he talks about. So we're talking about a child who is a Pele Yoet, a wonderful counselor. The second thing he's called is mighty God. Again, it's a child who's being called. This is going to be someone who is mighty God. And obviously God is God, right? So it's, that's what you see there. But mighty is not just like, oh, that's like super cool, like really powerful. It's like very mighty and particularly powerful. So we're talking about a child that is particularly powerful, a, a child born to power, one who shatters their enemies and inspires terror in the hearts of their adversaries. So this is not just any child. Then next, he is called everlasting father, Everlasting Father. This is Abi Ad. So everlasting, Abi, uh, sorry, Ad, is perpetual, continual, and eternal. No human being can call themselves that. You know that, right? No mere human being can actually say, like, I am an everlasting pastor. I'm an everlasting worship leader. No, like, you, you are a worship leader. You're not everlasting something. 
But this is a person who can actually call himself perpetual, continual, eternal, and he's going to be a father as well, one who ensures provision, protection, and promises like inheritance as well. So he's a child who's going to secure our eternal destiny, our eternal provision, protection, and inheritance as sons and daughters adopted into the family of God. So it's not just saying like, oh, that's a really flowery, poetic way to say everlasting. No, it's like there's promises built into this name already. And then lastly, he is called a prince of peace, Sar Shalom. When we think about the word prince, the way that we usually view it is like it's a mini king, right? It's a king junior, right? That's not what it is, right? So prince in the, in, in, in the Hebrew term, sar, is authority and ruler. So it's not like, oh, it's a mini king. Someday he'll come into authority. No, it's somebody already endowed with full authority, and he is a ruler. And then peace isn't just like lack of conflict or, or um, lack of adversity. When we talk about shalom in the biblical sense, it means so much more than that. Shalom means physical, emotional, spiritual well-being, flourishing. It is... It is the opposite of death, and it is not just life. It's life to the full. That's what it looks like. It is someone who is the authority that ensures our physical, emotional, mental, and spiritual well-being. That is who this child is going to be. He's going to be also called Sar Shalom. And the only person who can say that he's truly someone who brings peace is a person who has both full authority to deliver on his promise and also the audacity to say that as well. So, uh, for example, in John 14, uh, verse 28, this is what Jesus says, Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you, not as the world gives do I give it to you. Let not your heart be troubled, nor let it be fearful. In John 16, verse 33, he says, These things I have spoken to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take courage. I have overcome the world. Now let me paint you a picture of someone who is able to say these things and be credible. Imagine with me, you're walking down a really shady alley in the middle of Busan, it like really late at night, and you're walking with a friend. You know, and you're walking with this friend, and this friend is tall, they are imposing looking. They look like they've been in a few street fights. And they look over at you and they're like, don't worry, you're safe with me. You know? That's very different from a friend who's scrawny, who's never worked out a day in their life, who only eats, I don't know, chips. And like, they, they, they couldn't beat anybody even if they tried. And they look over at you like, don't worry, you're safe. And you're like, Shh. like who are you? Like, that's nice that you say that. I, 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 I you know, like your intent, and you're, you're like, that's really sweet of you to say that. But when it comes to my safety, my comfort, my confidence, and being able to make it through this shady alley, I have zero guarantees that I'm going to make it out okay. So it's, it's, it's the same thing when it comes to this. The only person who's able to say, no matter how crazy things look around you, no matter how much persecution comes against you, no matter what kind of trials you go through your life, there's going to be a peace that I'm able to give to you that no enemy, no situation in your life, nothing in the world is able to take away from this peace. The only person that can deliver that is someone who has full authority over his enemies. Does that make sense? He's that buff friend of yours, right? Who can look over and, and you feel complete peace. Like, oh, I can have my wallet out and it's okay, you know? That, that kind of friend who gives you complete peace, I can walk through this, 
through this alley and I'll be okay, I'll make it out okay, because I know who this friend is. And it's not just words, but they can actually deliver on this promise. It's, it's that same thing. This child is going to have such authority, such power over his adversaries that when he says that he can give you peace that is eternal, that will remain with you no matter what happens in your life, this is someone who has that kind of full authority and he's, one of the, he's the only person who's able to give that kind of promise. So back to um, this passage then. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Peleoet, so the the miracle-working planner and executor. He's going to be called El Gibor, mighty God, a God that is mighty in strength and uncontested in power. Third, he's going to be called Abiad, right, everlasting father, the provider and sustainer and protector for his children for now and forevermore. And then lastly, he is the Sar Shalom, the prince of peace, the authority that shatters fear, that shatters anxiety, insecurity, the one who reconciles man with God and to man to one another, one who puts an end to the eternal struggle of mankind against God, others, and himself. So this is who this child is going to be. This is quite a mighty promise. This isn't just like, oh, hopefully things will work out okay. This is you can mark my words. There's going to be somebody who comes. He's going to be uncontested in power. He's going to be wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, and prince of peace. Of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing it and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. And just in case we get ahead of ourselves and we think, okay, let's do it. What can I do? You know, like I'm there with you just in case we deceive ourselves into thinking that we are the ones who are going to do it. We are the ones who are going to accomplish it. No, we are self-reliant. We don't need to look to to nobody. Like before we get into that, this is how that passage ends. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. This is his word and he will be the one to deliver on it. Now this promise This amazing promise doesn't come in a vacuum. It's not out of nowhere that this beautiful promise is given. It's not doesn't come in a vacuum. It's it's not out of left field, but it's actually part of a string, a thread of continuous promises that are given all throughout the Old Testament. Before we even open up our Bibles to Matthew, in the beginning of the New Testament, the Old Testament is chock full of promises regarding this upcoming deliverer, right? If you look through Uh, different websites. This is really easy for you to find what Old Testament promises that Jesus fulfilled. And there's hundreds, like literally hundreds. I just brought just a few of them here uh, for you to just quickly look at. We already talked about the first two in in Isaiah uh, 9. So he would be the great light. The Messiah would be a wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, and prince of peace. And we see how it's fulfilled in the New Testament. Um, The third would be the Messiah would be a light for the nations of the world. That's also prophesied in Isaiah 42, and we see it again fulfilled in the New Testament. We look at Isaiah 7. It says that the Lord would give us a sign, and a virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. And 600 years later, after this promise, we see in both the account of Matthew and Luke that indeed the long-awaited Messiah comes through a virgin. It's not an accident. Uh, she couldn't have planned it. I'm, she probably wouldn't have wanted to plan it, you know? But it is God's word coming into fulfillment 600 years later. Daniel 9, it speaks of a coming anointed one. Anointed one means Christos, the ruler who would come at an appointed 
time, and then we see how in Matthew, Mark, and Galatians, we see that, that Jesus, as a deliverer, he comes at an appointed time. Messiah will be preceded by Elijah the prophet, is said in Malachi 4. Before the Lord comes, he will send a prophet who will prepare the way. And then we see in the Gospels how over and over again they talk about this John the Baptist who's preparing the way for the coming king. Um, a few more. The Messiah will be the Son of Man. Daniel 7 talks about someone like a Son of Man coming with the clouds of heaven, given authority, glory, sovereign power. All nations and peoples of every language worshipped him, and his dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away, and his kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. This is what Daniel 7 says. It's very similar to the language that we see in Isaiah 9 that we just read, right? Very similar to the words of Isaiah. Micah 5 says that out of Bethlehem, which is like a no-name town, like it's a very tiny little town, out of, I don't know, what's a, what's a no-name town? Like, like out Miyang, Miriam, okay, Miriam. See, I don't, I've never even heard of that, right? So out of Miriam, a mighty, you know, somebody who's going to be uh, a mighty deliverer is going to come. That's as random as that is. Um, so it, uh, the Bible prophesies that he would come out of Bethlehem, and it sounds very random. I'm sure when people heard Prophet Micah, they were like, are you sure about that one? I don't know. And so in Micah 5, it, it says that, and hundreds of years later, we see how, it's, how it is exactly it comes to pass, and it's almost like by accident, because they weren't from Bethlehem, but they were coming. They, were, they weren't living in Bethlehem, but they went back to Bethlehem because of the census. And that's where they happened to get, you know, like the timeline. I don't know if you can time, like when I'm going to have labor, when I'm gonna, my water's going to break, but that's how it happened. Like they got there, and that's when they delivered the baby. Um, and so that's, that's Micah 5 being fulfilled in the New Testament. The Messiah would be a descendant of David, the Messiah would be the star coming out from uh, coming out of Jacob. The Messiah would be the seed of the woman. The Messiah would be descendant of Abraham, through whom all nations would be blessed. All these things. If you guys have ever read those really boring chapters that it's a genealogy, and you're like, what is the point in all this? There is a point. There is a point. The Messiah had to come through a very particular seed, through a very particular line. And some of the testimonies that I've heard, actually, of Jewish people who have never read the Old Testament, they only know the Old Testament, right? And they know all the promises already. They know, like, this is how it needs to be fulfilled. And unless a New Testament proves to me that all those promises are fulfilled, like, I wouldn't trust this Jesus Christ guy that you're talking about. I've heard of testimonies of, like, Jewish people who open up to the first chapter of Matthew, and, you, and you're like, it is one of those chapters where like, oh, must you start there? Because it kind of starts out with a genealogy, and you're like, okay, let's get to the good part. But for Jewish people, they like, they see the trace, they see like, oh, it starts from this, and goes to this person, this person. And they're tracing all of this down, and we see, and you know, the, the it ends with Jesus Christ. And they're making all the connections already. Like, oh yeah, he's, you know, this tribe, this person, it needed to come from this seed, and they're already tracing those things. For them, it's like, oh my gosh, this is the Messiah. The Messiah. It must be. Um, and so I've heard of people who come to the faith just through a genealogy. I don't know if I could do that. <laughs> I, don't, I barely get through the genealogies, but I'm, I'm saying that this is, uh, this is just how sure his promise is and then how accurate the word of God is as well. These are things that you cannot plan. You cannot orchestrate even if you wanted to. And so we see how the word of God and his promises are so sure in ways that we could never have anticipated. And so there's all these promises. This is where I'll stop with the promises because your eyes are starting to glaze over. Um, but yeah, there's like hundreds of these. And the more you read this, it's like, 
oh my gosh, like the chances of one person fulfilling all these things, I think mathematically someone has, has done the calculations, it's like one to the something to that something power. Like there's so many zeros that you can't really, you know, it's like that kind of probability that we're talking about here. And so this is, you see it all throughout the Old Testament, how these promises are building up, building up. And if you were to just think of, I'm a very visual person, so hopefully this is helpful for those of you guys who are visual. Yes, yes. I I need to see a timeline. I need to see pictures. I need to see all this, right? So when we think about, you know, this eternity past over there, eternity future here, if we were to look at the, the, you know, because in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth, there's a garden right there. Wow, right? But then, like, not even three chapters in, already we see the fall, right? It's like right there. We didn't even make it through ch- three chapters without falling, right? It's very sad. So, like, it's like right there. And then the, the funny thing, though, like, although that's all it took, it took, like, two and a half chapters for us to get there, um, even then, like, the, the promise of God comes immediately as well. And this is Genesis 3.16, uh, uh, 3.15. This is the first proclamation of the gospel, really, like immediately after the fall of mankind. And the way that God, you know, phrases it is, um, where are you, Adam, first of all? Like he's looking, and this is a God who knows everything, right? So he's not like, like literally like, like, where did you go? Like I put you here last time I saw you. It's a God who knows everything. He's saying something very different. He's saying like, I've, we're alienated now. There's a distance now. And I'm not, I'm not asking where are you, Adam, because I need to know your location. Like, where are you, Adam, in terms of, like, what has happened between us? And he says, where are you, Adam? And in, in Genesis 3.15, it talks about there's going to be enmity between the seed of a woman and the serpent. And the, the, the descendant, you know, of the serpent is going to strike his heel, and yet he is going to crush the serpent's head. And that's the first proclamation of the gospel. That's the first mention um, of Jesus Christ and his redemptive work. And so that is immediately after. And then after that, all throughout the Old Testament, we see like, you know, the, uh, we see like how God brings about all these different ways in, in which he says, where are you, Adam? Like where, whether it be through a tabernacle, like where let's commune, like let's make a system so that you and I can be together. It can be through a prophet who will speak into, like speak on behalf of God and then he will meet with God on behalf of man. It can be through kings who are a foreshadowing of an everlasting king to come. It could be military deliverers who are going to be there and, and they're going to be um, people who also are going to foreshadow um, a, a deliverer to come as well. These are all different ways of God saying, where are you Adam? I'm reaching out to you. I'm reaching out to you. And uh, this is God's way, you know, of continuing to say, like, don't lose hope. The promise is still alive. It's been generations, yes, but I'm still searching for you. I'm still coming out after you. And then um, after that, there is a 400-year period of silence between the Old Testament and the New Testament. It's 400 years of, per- like, Obviously, not just silence, like not literal silence, but the prophetic silence, right? Where it seems like all the promises of God have died. And you're like, what happened to all of that? We talked about Isaiah, Micah, and all these things. What happened with all of that? There's 400 years of deafening prophetic silence. And then we see how in the New Testament, then we talk about the coming of Jesus Christ. And John 1, he says it this way, in the beginning was the word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. 
All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has overcome it. The true light, which enlightens everyone, was coming into the world. And then it says, And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory, glory as the only begotten Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. And so this is how the New Testament kind of breaks forth with the promise has come. All those foreshadowings, all those instances of me reaching out to you, you thought it was leading nowhere. And there was a point probably where you lost hope. You were like, I guess that that was it. I guess we're done. And then God breaks the silence, not with another foreshadowing, but with God himself. He comes down The word becomes flesh and dwells among us. This is the sureness of God's word and the faithfulness to his people. Now here's a shocking part, and this is the part that would be a bit more of a challenge for us. The shocking part is that all these promises that have accumulated and are building up, when it comes time to, all right, now's the time, now's the the time to fulfill these promises, the person that he taps on, to be a vessel of this is a young teenage girl. A girl who probably had no education. A girl who, you know, hasn't been to a seminary and who hasn't, you know, like, whatever. It's just a a young teenage girl. And this is the person that God sovereignly chooses to be the conduit and the vessel for all all this accumulation of promises. And it, it hangs on this one girl at that moment. And this is how... Uh, Luke says it, in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth. So she was in Nazareth, remember? She wasn't in Bethlehem. To a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one. The Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be greatly troubled is the biblical way of saying she was freaking out. <laughs> she was free. Like, I don't know about you guys, but I'm like, oh, cool. There's an angel there. Let's see what he has to say. No, like it's an angel that appears in front of her and he's speaking to her and she is very troubled. She's freaking out in that moment and she's very scared as well. How do I know that she's scared? Because later the angel says, do not be afraid. So she's afraid, right? So the angel says to her, do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall name his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David. And she's like, my, my grandfather's, I mean, my, my dad's name is not David, and my husband's name is not David. And so it's talking about prophetically, right? Like the, the genealogy of David the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and, his, and of his kingdom there will be no end. And so he says, you are the chosen one. These are the promises that have come through generations, and now I, I'm, I'm tapping you into the ring, and now it's your time to partner with the birthing forth of the promises of God. This is a young teenage girl. I don't know about you guys, but when I was a teenage girl, I was an idiot. Like, I didn't know anything. Like, you couldn't entrust me with anything, let alone the promises of God, right, for the deliverance of mankind. Like, you could never have done that when I was a teenager. And yet, God saw something in Mary. 
right? And this is the way that he chose to go about it. And I love Mary was like, okay, okay, hold up. Just, can we clarify how exactly is this good? I love that she says this. I'll be very discouraged if she was like, yes, sir, and just like do it. But she was like, wait, 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 wait. Okay. So, my goodness, bless you. Uh, and so she says like, wait, 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 hold up, hold up. So how will this happen exactly since I am a virgin? And then that means exactly what it means. How is it going to happen since I am a virgin, right? There's no interpretation for that. That's just exactly what she means. And then the angel answers her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child, will be, uh, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son, and this is the sixth month with her who was called barren, for nothing is impossible with God. So he's saying there's already a sign that has been given, and it was six months ago, and this is going to be confirmation for you that this is what God is going to do, and nothing is impossible with God. He did it with Elizabeth, he's going to do it with you. If somebody who's barren is able to be pregnant, six months pregnant by now, like someone who's a virgin is going to be able to conceive and have a baby as well. Nothing is impossible with God. And Mary said, this is the part that really stumps me. You know, this is what she said. Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And then the angel departed from her. Behold, I'm the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. I don't think I ever could have said that. I don't, realistically speaking, I'd be like, that's a great plan. So I have a friend who, you know, maybe would be down for that. But as for me, I'm a virgin. My entire life depends on, like, my livelihood, my future marriage. I'm engaged, by the way. I don't know if you've heard, but I'm engaged right now. And my fiancé is going to have something to say about this. You know, and this is my entire future that is on the line. So thanks, but no thanks. You know, that's probably how I would have reacted. This is her entire lifeline, uh, life on the line. This is her entire future on the line as well. And yet in surrender, even though, even after the explanation that the angel gave, I don't, it's not like, oh, okay, I see it now. Perfect. Okay, I'm with, no, it's like, it's still mysterious. So what does it mean that the Holy Spirit would overshadow? What do you mean? So there's still a lot that she doesn't understand. And yet, in, the, in, in, the, in her lack of understanding, she's still able to say, look, I'm, I don't get the, the, the entire mechanics, how this is going to work out. And I don't think things are going to work out, you know, with Joseph. Like, it's very likely that he'll want to divorce me after this. And perhaps I'll never have a normal life. And perhaps I'll have to live an entire life of, like, being singled out as a single mother. Um, and perhaps I'm going to be ostracized by community. Like, who knows? I, I don't know. There's so many unknowns. And yet, if this is really truly you, God, then my posture is going to be that of surrender. And it's not just surrender, but surrender and partnership as well. It's not just like, okay, you do what you want. But it's like, you do what you want, I am willing. And I'll take part in this as well. That is, that is the part that really, like, stumps me. This young teenage girl... And she was a normal teenage girl as well. Like, I don't think she levitated or, like, I don't know. Like, th- there was nothing like that would be like, whoa, she is a chosen one, other than the angel appearing and saying that she was a chosen one. But um, 
like I'm pretty sure she was a very normal teenager as well. And she had plans. She had already like, okay, this is probably how the timeline is going to work out. And this is how I'm going to marry. And this is how I want my kids to be raised. And this is how many children I want to have. Already she's planned things out. And yet God interrupts her plans and gives her this prophetic word, asks her to come into partnership with the Lord in delivering this promise. And her response is that of surrender and partnership. That is, that is pretty amazing to me. And so this is what I wanted to leave you with. There are you know, some applications that can come out of this. It's not going to be like, okay, so how do you conceive when you're... Ver- no, that's not what it is. It is going to be, um, so what things can we get, can we sift from just this one response from this young teenage girl? Number one is we need to know that there will be a cost. There will be. She, I'm sure it wasn't rosy after that, even with all the confirmation, even with the angel appearing before Joseph as well and all these things happening. Um, even then, there was, there was social stigma, I'm very sure. She was probably the talk of the town. She was probably put in like, in a, yeah, like she's, she thinks she can see through the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, sure, Holy Spirit, you know. And so I'm sure there was all kinds of talk, and she had to bear the cost of that. So there will be a cost. I think it is very naive to say like, oh, it's super cool. He'll take care of all the costs. You don't need to do a thing. Um, just, you know, just let him do his thing. No, there was a cost for her to bear. But the one thing that we need to keep in mind, there's a refining and pruning and breaking that often happens for a vessel to be prepared to carry forth a promise. And yet the promise itself is far greater than the cost. Imagine what would have happened to mankind if this young girl had said, like, actually, no. I think I'm good. Uh, good plan, but I don't think so. I think I'm just going to get married as I planned and like have my life kind of planned out. And yet, um, she had no idea. You know, this is where faith kicked in. She had no idea what the promise, like what it would actually look like. And yet, what we get from this is that the promises of God far outweigh the cost. No matter how high the cost is, no matter how much the sacrifice is, whatever his promise is, it's well worth it, if not more. Second is, the burden of the promise is on the Lord. He is the one that will carry the bulk and the weight of the promise, and he will be the one to carry it forth. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. He's the one who guarantees that his promises will come to pass. There's partnership, yes. There's cost, yes. I'm sure there's a lot of wrestling in between, yes. But he's the one who ensures that his word will be fulfilled. And then lastly, The glory of man, not the obligation of man, not the duty of man, but the glory of man is to partner with the purposes of God. When she said yes to his invitation, not knowing what it would look like, the New Testament wasn't written yet. Have you thought about it? It wasn't like, oh, yes, I read this in the third chapter of, no, there was none of that. It was unheard of, unprecedented. And she had to, she had to trust, okay, the outcome is going to be much greater than I, I can comprehend. But the fact that I get to partner with the pers- purposes of God, this is a privilege. It is not an obligation. It is a privilege. And in the same way, often when we think about the promises of God, it doesn't mean that not, there's not going to be any mystery. It doesn't mean that God will do all of it and you don't need to lift a finger. That's not what it, it means. But God somehow delights in partnering with mankind. I don't understand why. It would have been a lot easier, actually, for him to be like, and ta-da, here's Jesus as a fully grown, beard-wielding, you know, 30-year-old guy. And yet, 
in his sovereignty, he chose to come to a young teenage girl and make her the vessel of this promise and birth forth this promise. And this promise was in the form of a young baby, technically a fetus, like, like, like even in her womb, right? So the glory of man is to partner with the purposes of God. It is a privilege. It is an invitation and a glory that is given to mankind. And often we think about, oh, about the obligation, oh, about the weight, oh, about the burden. And yet we forget that it's actually quite a privilege to be brought in and to be invited in to partake in the promises of God. There's going to be mystery, yes, and yet it's going to be well worth it. He's going to carry the brunt of the promise, and it's going to be a privilege to be called in to partner with it. I'll, I'm going to close with this. This is another timeline. Ta-da. So this is what we left at. That is um, where we left at with the New Testament. This is not where it ends, and you guys know that that's not the end of the story. You know, we talk about a time in which Jesus makes an entrance, for God makes an entrance into the history of mankind. He steps on, like, the soil. You know, he, he, he comes, right? And this is the fulfillment of promises of God that have been spoken about all throughout the Old Testament. He continues to reach out to his people all throughout the New Testament and even in the world that we live right now. Our, our, our current time, it isn't just an in-between, like, oh, that happened. His promise was fulfilled back then, and now we're just chilling. Uh, we're just chilling. I hope that I make it through my entire life without sinning really badly, you know, and I'm, I'm just crossing my fingers, and I hope it goes well. No, we're still in this timeline. God is still fulfilling his promises. And all throughout history, all throughout Old Testament, New Testament, our modern-day Um, God is still fulfilling his promises. And the word of God talks about a day in the future where he's going to come once again. And it's going to be more glorious than his first coming. In Revelation 21, it says it like this. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride. A bride, this is the people of God. As a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Now the dwelling of God is with men, and he will live with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe away every tear. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. And it continues on talking about his second coming. That is a promise that we're walking towards. And so this is my encouragement when it comes to thinking through the cost of things. When it comes to dealing with discouragement and frustration or the waiting, when it comes to dealing with anger and frustration, like, why, Lord, what's taking so long, God? Um, Where is this leading, God? Sometimes I get so fixated in, like, this little tiny little point in this, you know, I'm probably, you know, somewhere like, here, this little pixel right here. And I'm like, that's all I see. Like this little pixel, God is not lining up to the way, you know, and I can obsess over that. And yet sometimes I need to have uh, God remind me that there's a much bigger picture, that this is heading somewhere. The promise of God will come to pass. And as great and as glorious as his first coming was, it's going to be a much greater, much more glorious coming. And that is as surely as 
those Old Testament prophecies, prophecies regarding his first coming, as surely as those were fulfilled, the same thing will happen with the second coming as well. And that is um, sometimes all the encouragement that we need to be able to deal with that little pixel, that, that pixel of a brief and momentary afflictions that we call this life, this life that is like a vapor. Those troubles that seem like insurmountable, like, Lord, how am I going to make it through this next month? Lord, how am I going to deal with this issue that I have in my family? Lord, how am I going to deal with this next season of uncertainty? Lord, how am I going to deal with my finances in the next week? All these things that seem like, Lord, am I ever going to make it through? Am I going to make it? Um, in the midst of that, God reminds us, like as, as great and as all-encompassing as that pixel is, it's a pixel in the middle of a big, sweeping plan of God, and he will fulfill every promise. And so we're just going to close in a time of prayer. Could I actually ask you to um, feed worship as well to close today? I want us just to, you know, as, as Tiffany gets set up, I want us just to close our eyes just for a second. Um, and often one of the most unpleasant things for us to do is to sit in the discomfort of pain or frustration or why God, you know, where are you, what's taking so long, sitting in the discomfort of that. It feels, it feels almost wrong, you know. It feels almost like, is this... Is it, is this okay for me to feel? Am I supposed to just think positively and move on and hope for the best? Isn't that the right Christian thing to do? But my encouragement, you know, for you today is whatever it is that you are working through, whatever it is that you are struggling with and wrestling with, all those unknowns, all those unanswered questions, all those areas in your life, whether it be at your workplace or your family or your personal life or whatever it may be, whatever level of hopelessness it is that you are wrestling with in that area, for you to just sit there, acknowledge the pain, acknowledge the hurt, acknowledge, you know, the, that feeling of anger, frustration, whatever it may be. You just sit there and invite God in into that place as well. Those promises that you've been waiting on and praying on for years. Invite God into that as well. And perhaps this is a lot to ask of us today, and yet I, I do feel like we need to I need to give this challenge. I feel like the Lord is asking us today, and maybe he'll lead us there. Maybe that's not our starting point, and yet I'm hoping it's our end point. It is to make that same confession that Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. I don't see the entire picture. I don't know exactly how it's going to work out. There's so many unknowns. There's so many variables. There's so many things that could go wrong. There's so many fears that I'm dealing with right now so much anxiety that I'm dealing with right now. And yet, if you are truly God, and if you are true to your promises, and you're a God who cannot lie, because you're not man, you're unable to lie. If all of that is true, then I have to trust that you know exactly what you're doing. Then 
you have my best interests in mind. You're not out here to harm me, set me up for disappointment. You're not here to hurt me. But there's something, perhaps a promise that's much greater that you are looking at right now. And this this wrestling that I'm going through right now, perhaps it's just a brief and momentary affliction. That's all it is. It'll, it'll pass. This is not here to stay. This is a seasonal thing. And so God, I choose to trust in you once again. I choose to make your voice and your promises ring louder in my heart and in my mind than all the fears, all the anxieties, all the what-ifs. I choose to lend my ear to that, to your voice, to your reassurance, your steadfast love, your faithfulness, your perfect timing. I choose to put my trust in that. I don't want to put my trust in my anxiety. I don't want to put my trust in, in the circumstances that I see around me. I don't want to put my trust in the lies and condemnation or whatever it is that often crowd my mind. But I want to put my trust in the word that cannot fail, the promises that will come to pass, a God who is faithful from beginning to end, a God who has started something and he will finish it unto completion. Father, we come to you today with um, as much faith as we can muster. We don't know all the ins and outs. Perhaps, you know, we have faith today and perhaps we won't have it tomorrow. And then we're going to have to choose to believe and choose to trust again. But our prayer is would you keep us in this posture of surrender and of partnership? May we not give up that easy. May we not let go. Even when circumstances around us are saying different things, God, we choose to place our hope in your character, your unfailing love, your truth, God. You know exactly how much it costs us you know exactly just how much we have to wrestle through in our minds. You know exactly what we're going through in our personal lives. What lies we're hearing in our mind. What challenges are ahead for us. You know all of these things. You see it. Not at a distance. You're a God who knows us intimately. You're well acquainted with all of our ways. So you know exactly what it's going to take for us to put our trust in you. You know exactly what it's going to take for us to stay in that place of hope and faith. And you say that you are well pleased. And so God, with in the best way that we know how, we say that we love you. We say that you are worthy. You're worthy when our lives are working out the way that we thought it would. And you're worthy of our lives when everything seems to be in chaos. You're still worthy. You're still enough. You're still in control. You still love us. You still care for us. You still are here to give us a hope and a future. 
you're still here to give us life and life to the full. That is who you are. So we thank you for your steadfast love. We trust, God, that even when we don't understand, God, you are the one who sees it all, who knows it all, who is able, able to deliver in every one of your promises. So we thank you, Father. We look to you and we worship you. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Can we write?